You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We've been going through 1 Samuel, and so tonight we're in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Last week, we went through the first five verses, and so we're going to be starting with verse 6 tonight in 1 Samuel 22. Now, David's on the run. He's going through a hard time, and he hasn't done anything wrong. But the boss, the king, is jealous. The boss understands that God has chosen David to take his place. He doesn't want that for himself. He doesn't want that for his family, and he's not responding appropriately to the Lord. He's not surrendering, but instead he's hanging on and refusing to let go. In the meantime, David now is having to run for his life as Saul is completely, totally sold out to finding him and killing him. And so he goes to this town called Nob, you remember, and this is a priestly town where the tabernacle is. And the priest Ahimelech is there, and he gets nervous when he sees David alone, but David lies to him and says, oh, don't worry, I'm on a top secret mission from the king. And uh, just give me some bread and, and give me a sword and, and I'll be up on, on my way and we're good to go. And so he goes. But remember that there's this Edomite there, this man named Doag, who witnesses it all. And he is a servant of Saul's. And so that's important for the story as we move on in 1 Samuel 22. Well, then we remember that David ran off to Gath to go into the enemy territory to find sanctuary. Well, that didn't work out. And he had to act like a crazy man to get himself out of it. And he gives God glory in the, in the Psalms, doesn't he? And then he goes to this cave of Adullam where he finds shelter and he finds comfort from the Lord there. And then all of his family come to him because they're not safe. And then all the distressed and the debtors and the people who are discontented or as in the Hebrew it means they have bitterness of soul. And they come to David and so David now has this army of about 400 men that will grow quickly to 600. From there he goes to Moab and delivers his parents and his family there for safety. Um, but then the prophet Gad says, hey, don't stay here, David. You better head back to Judah. And so he goes back to Judah to the forest of Hereth in Judah. And this is where we pick up in 1 Samuel 22, 6. It says, when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Probably nervous because Saul's got his spear in his hand again <laughs> and who knows what he's gonna do next, right? Things don't work out well whenever Saul has a spear in his hand. And then in verse seven it says, then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, hear now you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? So Saul, being a Benjamite, had shown favoritism to his Benjamite clan, tribe, and, and made them the head people in his, his administration. 
And because of that, they were able to get great wealth, fields and, and vineyards, and power and position. And so he's telling them, hey, look, guys, what are you guys doing? Can, can the son of Jesse give you these things? You think he'll show you favoritism? He's not a Benjamite. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's going to show his friends and family favoritism. So why are you supporting him? See, he's assuming that everybody is conspiring with David and they're all against him. He's become paranoid, thinking that everybody's after him, when in reality, it's just God <laughs> saying, you know, you need to let go, Saul. Verse 8, all of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And so, yes, it's true that Jonathan and David had made a covenant with one another to have each other's backs and to love each other through it all. But in no way did Jonathan stir up David's heart against Saul. We know that that is not true. He's believing lies. And he's also trying to put a guilt trip on his top leaders and on his servants. It's a control tactic. Don't you guys feel sorry for me? No one's sorry for me. Come on, guys. And he's also kind of giving this tacit information of, hey, you know what? If you're loyal to me, you'll get fields and vineyards and power and position. I know you have it now, but man, you could get more. Come on. You want to keep it? Be on my side. You want to get more? Be on my side. So he's trying to control uh, the situation. Verse 9, then answered Doag the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. Oh, first we saw that he was head uh, shepherd of all the flocks. And now we see he set over all the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So Doag, having been there and witnessed it all, would have known that Ahimelech did all of this innocently. And he's falsely implicating Ahimelech to redirect Saul's anger and suspicion away from himself and his servants and onto the priests. But we're also told in Psalm 52 that he's after riches. He's ambitious and wanting to find favor and reward. And so he goes and he's being a worm tongue. If you've seen that series, The Lord of the Rings, and there's a king in there who's got this counselor that's always in his ear, just lying to him, trying to manipulate him and control his decisions. And he buys into it until he's released from it. And so Saul here is doing something similarly as the king. He's beginning to listen to the lies of this ungodly counselor. And so this is what Doag has to say here. 
middle of verse 9, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Verse 11, so the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, here I am, my lord. And so Ahimelech is coming very humbly before King Saul and, and calling him lord and by saying, here I am, my Lord, it's kind of like when, when God spoke to Samuel the first time when he was a kid, and he said, Samuel, Samuel. And then finally he says, here I am, Lord, your servant is listening. And so Ahimelech is coming humbly before Saul and saying, here I am, what's going on? In verse 13, then Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Verse 14, so Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. So he's saying, yeah, I did give him bread. I gave him a sword. Uh, he's, he's your most favored servant, and he's blessed, and he's a good guy. And, and why else would I think otherwise? But he did not inquire of the Lord for him. We, we didn't read about that happening. And so uh, Doag here is very, he's being very accusatory towards Ahimelech. But he knows, because he was there, that David lied and Ahimelech did this in innocence. Now, in the middle of verse 15, it says, let not the king impute anything to his servant, speaking of himself, or to any in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all of this, little or much. Look, man, I had no idea and my actions were reasonable considering what I did know and what I perceived to be true. Verse 16, and the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And so Saul assumes guilt. There's no trial here. There's no investigation. There's just assumption based on one man's accusation. Verse 17, then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand is also with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. Good job, servants. They knew this is wrong. I am, we're not gonna touch the priesthood. Man, we're messing with God here. And so they're stepping back and saying, hey, no, there's a limit to what I'm willing to do for you, King Saul. And you have crossed the line. Verse 18, and the king said to Doag, you turn and kill the priests. So Doag the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. 
a linen ephod. This is the white priestly robe that was worn by these priests. And there they were hacked to pieces by Doag and probably his servants. And then verse 19, also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Oh, just horrible. This is beyond punishment for one man's offense. Even if Ahimelech were guilty of this, obviously this was way uh, beyond what the, the people would deserve. And so Saul had become overcome by evil and by the lies of the enemy and basically handed control over to the enemy who was in his camp. Romans 12, 21, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, as we would seek to avenge ourselves, or if we remain in jealousy, if we remain in bitterness, then that will overcome us. And the thoughts that we get in that place become words, and the words become actions. And so the Bible warns, do not be overcome by evil, but instead overcome evil with good. Do you remember when Saul got his start, when he first became king all those many years prior to this, as a young man, and he, the Lord gave him this great victory over the enemy, and he rescued uh, that town. And, um, and then some of the people, though, had said, no, we, Saul doesn't deserve to be king. And so after the great victory, there were some saying, hey, let's get those guys and let, let's kill them. And Saul said, no, no, there's been enough death today. We're, we're going to forgive them. We're going to show mercy. And so we commended him for his merciful attitude. That's what it means to overcome evil with good. Not to hold something against somebody. But now he's come to the place where he's so overcome by evil, it is totally overtaken him. And he watches as he gives direction to Doag to wipe everybody out. The priests of the Lord. Now, remember that Eli, in part of the prophecy against him, was that uh, his, his, his descendants would not continue in the priesthood. And so here, these are all descendants of Eli, and they're getting wiped out. Now, for more application, let's, let's look at Hebrews 12. It'll be on the screen here. Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. 
And this is what we've seen happening with Saul. A root of bitterness has sprung up in his heart. It's causing trouble, and many people are being defiled. As we picture, if you want, the priests with their white robes all bloodied and dead, there's a lot of defilement going on here. And it's brutal, and it's sickening, but it's the reality of it. Now, verse 16 lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, for one morsel of food sold his birthright. We're going to get into this story in a little bit, and there's a reason that I want to actually turn there together in a moment. Talk about that. And so he, for a morsel of bread, he sold his birthright. This would be the flesh over the spirit. His birthright was a spiritual birthright. It was a blessing that was passed on from Abraham to Isaac, and now it was, it was to go to one of the twins, Jacob or Esau. And Esau sold it because he was hungry. Verse 17, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, so he sought it diligently with tears. So as much as he wanted to repent, he could not bring his heart to truly repent. He never really repented. There's a difference between wanting to repent and actually repenting. You could come to church, you can be hit by a message, if you're walking in sin, you can go, oh man, I really got to quit that sin, and oh, I'm convicted. And you can walk away going, oh, that was a good message. It really hit me hard. But if you don't repent, it did no good. You see, it's not just, repentance is not a feeling. Repentance is, I'm no longer going to do that anymore. I was going in this direction, now I'm turning the other way, 180 degrees, and I'm going the other way, I'm going to change. And so Esau, although he sought it with tears, he didn't truly repent, he didn't find repentance. Now, I want to turn to the story, Genesis 25. So as you're turning to Genesis 25, I want you to note that Esau was the founding father of the Edomites. And Doag was an Edomite. So this is why I feel like it warrants a connection tonight in taking this little rabbit trail because we're going to understand, I think, a little bit more about Doag as an Edomite and what he represents in the Bible as we go back to Esau, the first Edomite. Genesis 25, 29. Remember that Jacob and Esau are twin brothers, sons of Isaac and Rebekah. And one of them was to get the birthright and the blessing that was given, was promised to Abraham. And remember, they wrestled in the womb even. And Esau came out first, but Jacob was holding on to his foot, <laughs> his heel. So they named him heel catcher, Jacob. And now they, they've grown older. And uh, Esau is the hunter. He goes out into the field. He's the, he's the man's man. Jacob's the guy who likes to, you know, uh, tend to flocks and be around the tent. Some people said he's a mama's boy. It says in, verse, in, in Genesis 25, 29, now Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field and he was weary. 
And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. 31. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And so was he literally starving to death? Probably not. You know, you can go like 60 days before you actually die, depending of, of starvation from no eating. But he was probably just really, really hungry, really, really tired, and was just willing in order to satisfy his fleshly craving in that moment, was willing to give away the spiritual blessing that came down from dad and grandpa. And so then we fast forward to the end of Isaac's life when he's old and nearly blind and he favors Esau and wants to give Esau the, the blessing from Abraham, and he sends him out to go hunt and prepare his favorite meal for him and then bless him. But meanwhile, at the prompting of his mother, Jacob disguises himself as Esau and goes in to receive the firstborn blessing. Because remember, Isaac is nearly blind. And so in Genesis 27, 33, after Jacob has received the blessing from his dad, in comes Esau and says, I'm here, dad. I've made your favorite meal. Now bless me. And Isaac's like, oh my gosh, I've already blessed Jacob. It's done. I'm, I, it's irrevocable. I can't take it back. And so then it says in verse 33, then, this is Genesis 27, verse 33. It says, then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and, and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightfully named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, 
and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So this is the blessing that Isaac has for Esau. But it's kind of a, that's kind of a blessing. It's like, yeah, you're going to, don't worry, son. You know, things are going to go great with you. You're going to be very wealthy and accumulate. You're going to do great in the world. But you're going to serve your brother. And your descendants will serve your brother's descendants. Jacob gets the blessings that were promised to Abraham and to his seed forever. And in fact, we know the greatest blessing of all was that Abraham was promised that the Messiah, Jesus, would come from him, the Savior. In your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed, he was told. In your seed, singular, one man, Jesus. And so this was about who is going to be one of the ancestors of Jesus here. And Jacob desired this. He didn't go about getting it in the right way. But God had already chosen Jacob over Esau because Esau was a fleshly man. He was a man who lived after the flesh. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.